Pope Paul VI once wrote, the very nature of the gifts which Christ has given the church demands that they be extended to others and shared with others. Welcome to the 41st episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have a responsibility to our suffering sisters and brothers to extend compassion and the love of Christ to each one of them. So let's get to it. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I was asked if I had any tips on praying when our mind is in the midst of a depressive episode. I'd like to start by joining with all of you in a prayer for everyone suffering from depression, everyone who wishes they could pray at the moment but can't seem to do so, and for everyone who cares about them. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. It should come as no surprise to us that we find it difficult to pray when we're depressed. Think about it in terms of our brain's resources. Consider our brain needing to devote those resources to certain functions. For example, and I'm making this up, I'm completely making this up, 5% toward breathing, 30% toward focusing on the task at hand, etc. Consider all the various functions our brain is engaged in at any given moment. And now think of depression coming in and reducing the capacity of your brain to function. For example, your brain might typically function at 95% capacity when things are going well, but once depression enters the scene, the best your brain can do is 60%. So you're left with a brain that still has a lot of work to do, but not as much capacity to do those things well. Hence, we see a reduction in the brain's ability to concentrate and focus, its ability to find motivation and energy, even its ability to want to take care of the things that we need to do to take care of ourselves, like eating and good hygiene. And likewise, we have to realize that this reduction in our brain's capacity is going to impact our prayer life. The solution is twofold. First, ask other people to pray for you. This is great because it doesn't really depend on your brain during a depressive episode. Instead, you're relying on the body of Christ to lift you up. And let me be the first to tell you that you will feel the power of the body of Christ pulling you forward. Second, because your brain is running on diminished capacity, take the difficulty out of your prayer life. Temporarily remove the prayers that take a lot of focus and concentration and instead work within your brain's current abilities. Jesus, I trust in you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Virgin Mary, Mother of God, make me a saint. Simple, short, much easier than when we're not feeling it. And yet at the same time, packed with God's grace, amazingly powerful and ready to bring you closer to him. We're praying for all of you, so never forget that when you find yourself unable to pray. On to the next topic, a DM I received asked this question, what do you think about secular guided meditation? Okay, in full disclosure, sometimes at work we'll have a meeting that gets kicked off with this kind of thing. Close your eyes, uncross your legs, imagine you're sitting beneath a tree, and I kind of hate it. It's boring, it feels weird to do it at work, and I just don't like it. 
That being said, I have seen the benefits of this kind of meditation when it's done well, which is rarely, but it being done well requires a few things. First, it needs to be set up correctly. Why are we doing this? What are we trying to achieve? Next, it needs to be in the appropriate environment. Think less a work meeting and more a retreat or group therapy dynamic or at home with your kids before bed. And finally, it needs to be completely free of spirituality. If we're going to do a secular meditation, let's do a secular meditation. Please don't do anything about our energy flowing through our feet and into the earth and opening up our third eye to see things beyond the conscious realm. If my rules are followed, I think it's all good. And if you're worried about guided meditation and how it may clash with your Catholic faith in a certain circumstance, please feel free to be like me and just sit comfortably with your eyes closed and think about something else. There's no requirement that you have to participate in something you think goes against your faith. You have my permission to think about baseball or what you're going to make for dinner or a gospel story even better. I probably should have led with that one. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm here to introduce you to St. Margaret of Cortona. Born in 1247 in Laviano, Italy, Margaret's mother died when she was just seven years old, and her father got remarried to a woman who treated Margaret pretty poorly. As she grew older, her behavior started to become more and more reckless, and she started to get a bad name around town. When she was 17, she met a man and ran away with him. After living with him for 10 years, she found him murdered in a nearby forest, and this death shocked Margaret. She went through prolonged periods of self-loathing and did all she could to make herself unattractive to those of the opposite sex. Rumors and gossip plagued her for the rest of her life. She took the situation and turned it around, however, diving into a life of prayer and penance. She and her son moved in with the Franciscan friars after being turned away by her stepmother. Her son became a friar, and she went on to join the Third Order, living a life of poverty, fasting, and eating nothing other than bread and vegetables. She established a hospital for the sick and homeless and reported that she could speak with Christ directly through her mystical experiences. She's one of the patron saints of mental illness and against temptation, and her example of getting back on track after a difficult period of her life is inspiring to me and hopefully to all of you as well. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Oh, glorious Saint Margaret, you embarked on a life of prayer and penance and poverty after you repented of your sins. Jesus touched your heart, and after imposing on yourself a rigorous life of fasting, Jesus talked and conversed with you, revealing to you his merciful heart that rejoices whenever a sinner returns to him. On controlling your appetite for food, you managed to free yourself from all temptations, including those of the flesh, of which you were a victim for many years. Listen then to our petitions. May you bring our petitions to Jesus. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I used to be anorexic and the quarantine was very triggering for me. My anorexia was initiated by my grandmother starving me for a few weeks in high school because she wanted me to understand that I was unlovable 
intrinsically too much of a burden and I did not deserve the food. It worked and I started eating less and less for several years until my college spiritual director helped me about five years ago. With less food in stores and fewer grocery trips to keep everyone safe, I found myself tempted to not eat so much uh, so that the other members of my family can have the food, despite there technically being enough for all of us. I'm seeing a therapist, but do you have any tips or suggestions to avoid falling back into an eating disorder? Oh, Anonymous, I, I want to start by having everyone join in prayer for you that God may keep you safe, help you with your recovery, and give you his grace and joy this very day. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First, let me let me say, blessed be God for your recovery from your eating disorder and your recovery from the inexcusable behavior of your grandmother. I realize the road to recovery has most likely been a long one with ups and downs, but I want to give you some praise for working so hard to get to the place you're at now. As with recovery from anything else, as you already know, recovery from an eating disorder is a lifelong journey and various situations can trigger us even years after we've recovered. This pandemic we've all been going through is a perfect example of this. Our normal lives and routines have been turned upside down. We're worried about so many things and have so many concerns going unanswered. And when we're in recovery, our routine is so vital, so important to maintaining our journey in the right direction. But there are obviously things we can do to prevent relapse, and I'm going to share some thoughts from the National Eating Disorders Association. The best way to deal with relapse is to accept the possibility that it might happen soon or in the distant future and make a plan to help manage it. Identify your triggers. Based on what you've learned in recovery, identify the types of situations where you think you might be most likely to struggle. Write down as many as you can realistically think of. Identify warning signs. What are signs that recovery is continuing to go well for you? And what about when you might need more support? Lastly, what are the signs that you are in a full-blown relapse? Note psychological, behavioral, and social signs such as avoiding meals, not sleeping well, increasing perfectionism, irritability, and breaking plans with friends. And then identify support people. Find several people, including a therapist, dietitian, psychiatrist, or other professional whom you can turn to when you're stressed or have concerns about your emerging eating disorder behavior. If appropriate, encourage them to talk to you about any concerns as they see it. Think of these questions as you go through this journey. How can I keep going even when I feel uncomfortable? How can I allow others to support me? What is one mini goal I can set today? What qualities make me a unique and special person? And lastly, uh, from the NEDA again, while it may feel anxiety provoking, let yourself make peace with normality, normal eating, normal body size, normal weight range, normal coping. Recovery is a journey to normalcy and healing. This is not to say that you can't be unique in your own right, but recovery from an eating disorder takes you to a place of normal functioning, and that's a healthy, productive, life-enhancing place to be. Don't fight it. Embrace it. God bless you, Anonymous. A different anonymous is next. It seems to me the great spiritual writers and many theologians disagree on some matters regarding divine providence. One view, uh, the one that is supposed to support good health, says that all things 
happen on purpose, that nothing in God's world happens by mistake. The other view says, no, no, God does not micromanage the events in our lives, and well, he's not really all that involved beyond sustaining our existence. The rest is a secondary cause. How do I reconcile the need to accept every moment as willed by God for good health and peace while not attributing what bothers us to him? This is a great question and uh, one that I also wrestle with from time to time. Also, I should note, I am neither a great spiritual writer nor a theologian, so I'm hugely unqualified to answer this question in an adequate manner. I can, however, answer from my own life's experience, and hopefully that can be a little helpful. My experience in life tells me that both of these views uh, have truth in them, uh, and they don't contradict each other. I think everything happens for a reason. St. Paul says, we know that all things work for the good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And God doesn't micromanage the events in our life, meaning he doesn't directly cause bad things to happen to us, but he knows they will happen and permits them to happen uh, because of point one, everything that happens has a reason. This seems like a, a pretty healthy way to look at things, at least for me. Knowing that God is always with us, God wishes that bad things didn't have to happen in our lives, but realizing that isn't the condition of humanity. His solution instead is to bring good out of those bad things for us, growing closer to our loved ones, growing closer to him, wanting to strive for holiness, all these things that we have a hard time choosing for ourselves because we can't see anything beyond this world. He allows those bad things to happen to us so that we can see beyond and we can choose beyond. I'm not sure if that helps, but it's another case of the classic Catholic therapist both and answer. God bless Anonymous. An email from Laura wraps us up. Is internal family systems therapy compatible with Catholicism? I'd been referred to an EMDR therapist to process trauma. The EMDR therapist I found is instead focusing on IFS. At first it seemed okay, but I'm increasingly uncomfortable. Uh, I, I don't feel able to judge on my own whether it's okay. And if I could ask your opinion on whether it's okay for a Catholic to do this kind of therapy, that'd be cool. Let's start by praying for Laura that God may bring peace and comfort into her heart this very day. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Some definitions will get us going. You mentioned being referred to EMDR for therapy to process trauma. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a type of therapy developed by Francine Shapiro in the 1990s, which while controversial in a few different ways, check out episode 24 for more, has been, helped, uh, has been held up as quite helpful for those suffering from PTSD. IFS, or Internal Family Systems Therapy, is an integrative approach to therapy developed by Richard Schwartz in the 80s. It comes from the view that the mind is made up of relatively discrete sub-personalities, each with its own viewpoint and qualities. To your question, I don't see much that has anything contrary to the faith, to the faith on face value when looking into IFS, but I see that the main criticism seems to be that clients arrive at their goals later than with other forms of therapy. It takes a longer time to go through all the processes of IFS. That being said, here is an evergreen thought about therapy. If something that we're doing in therapy makes us feel uncomfortable, it's probably not a good idea for us to continue with it. There are many different theories in therapy, and there is usually one that fits for each of us, one that makes the most sense, and thus one that will lead us to the best progress. When we feel uncomfortable with a theory, whether that discomfort is rational or not, it's not going to be a therapy that moves us forward. So be at peace, trust your gut, 
and seek out the therapy that feels right when you engage with it. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.